You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a series called The Thrill of Hope. The Thrill of Hope. And you hear that uh, line, you just sang that line in the song we just sang. And, and that what are the conditions by which the thrill of hope awakens? Because you don't just wake up in the morning with the thrill of hope unless some other things have happened. You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, what do I got to do today? And you're, you're weighted down by the cares of the world. But what are the conditions that create the thrill of hope? For there to be thrill, there's got to be despair or defeat or desire. There must be the unexpected for there to be the thrill of hope. There must be self-hustle in your life where you're trying to accomplish something, but it might actually be a lesser story. There must be the anticipation that begins to awaken the question, like, can this really be? Could it really be that, that there is hope in our future? Could it really be that Jesus is coming back for us? Like, you know, we look at the signs of the times and maybe right now you're like, yeah, I know. I know in the future Jesus comes back someday. But what would happen is the thrill of hope would be awakened if you started seeing signs that his return was drawing near, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that thrill of hope start to awaken in you? There is waiting, there is personal stretching, and there begins to become a renewal of the heart. These conditions must exist for the thrill of hope to actually happen in your life and mine. But all too often, we try to get our hopes met through illicit means. We try to get our hopes met through empty means. And we looked at that a little bit last week. And it reminds me of that, you know, young preschool age boy who approached his grandfather and said, Grandpa, will you make a sound like a frog? And so the grandpa croaked like a frog. And again, the child asked, well, Grandpa, will you make a sound like a frog? And once again, the grandpa started to croak like a frog. And after going back and forth in the same way for a while, the grandpa finally asked, you know, what, why do you want to hear all these frog sounds? And the little preschool-aged boy looked at him and said, well, because grandma said that when you croak, we're all going to Disneyland. <laughs> like we're striving. We're trying to get what we want through means that don't actually do it. We're trying to get it accomplished, and it doesn't work. And today I want to introduce to you the idea or the topic of favor, God's favor being upon you. You see, there are times you and I try to get the deepest longings of our heart met, but we're like that child. You're hopeful, but you're just a little bit unsure about how to make that happen. And God has created some deep longings in your heart, the longing for wholeness, the longing for all things to be made new, the longing for renewal in your life, the longing for his cleansing and his approval and his rest. Here's why you need today's sermon. Hope is awakened when you encounter the favor of God and believe that he is for you. When you believe that God is for you, when you walked in here today, when you were singing songs, did you believe God is for me? God is on my side. God is so glad I'm here today. God looks at me and he says, you are clean and you are pure and you are right and you are mine and you are my beloved. You're, my love is for you. It is in you. It is around you. Or did you walk in here today with another list? Did you walk in here today with the list of shame? See, we ask the question at Christmas time, we always ask the question, are you naughty or are you nice? That's the question, isn't it? When you walked in here today, you had to answer, well, am I naughty or am I nice? Do I belong in a church? Which is always funny because that means a building when you ask that question. The truth is, do you belong to be sinners who have been saved by grace and now have been washed 
and made new and made clean and God wants to heal the deepest parts of our hearts. Are you just part of that people? I am. I didn't walk in here perfect, but I'm just among the group of people just like all of us together that we need Jesus. But what happens is shame enters Almost any situation, shame tries to have a voice. And it's easy to see yourself through the eyes of shame, right? It's very easy for all of us to look at, at ourselves through the eyes of shame because we are taught so often in our culture that we're not enough. We don't look good enough. We don't, you know, we're not athletic enough. We're not in shape enough. We're not like, there's always something extra that we should be. And we're taught to look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves through the eyes of shame, but shame typically says this. Here's the words of the voice of shame, the lies of shame. It says, I'm a bad person. Shame will tell you you're a bad person. Shame will say, you're not nice, you're naughty. And they don't mean like in a teasing sense. It really means, no, you're actually naughty. That's what shame will tell you, that you are a bad person. And sometimes we believe the lies of shame, so you start acting out what you've chosen to believe. Shame says... No one would love me as I am. They wouldn't love me as I am. If you really knew me, would you in fact love me? And one of the deepest needs of the human heart, one of the deepest cries of people is to be known for who you really are. To be known for who you are, not who you project to be, not who you want to be, not the you're not enough that shame would tell you, but you just want, deep down, I just want to be known, accepted, desired, approved of. These are the longings, the deepest longings of our heart. They are deeper than what you want for Christmas. These are the deep longings of our heart. Shame also says, I can't get my needs met by depending on others. I can't get my needs met by depending on others. And oftentimes, that includes a little subtle belief that says, I can't get my needs met by depending on God. So shame speaks. Shame speaks into your life. It speaks into my life. And when we come to the issue of favor, we think of favorite. We think God's got favorites, and I might not be one of them. God's got favor for other people, but I don't know that he has favor for me. And we look at this story of Christmas, and we see Mary, and we begin to think, oh, Mary... She's the favorite. In fact, other even religions in our world have elevated her to almost the exact same status, right, as God himself. No, it's God's favor on her. He's not, she's not his favorite, but that God chose to give favor, his love, his attention, his plan in her life. And God's favor is also for you. And so we look in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember Elizabeth is the uh, aunt of, well, it's an aunt? No, I've got to think about what that is. Elizabeth is related to Mary. <laughs> she's related to Mary. And so she's going to, she is old in age. And she is now pregnant by God. If you were here last week and you looked at the first part of the chapter, you learned that God has done a miraculous pregnancy in a woman who is way, way, way past the childbearing years. And that person inside of her, 
is John the Baptist. That child John who will grow up will become the one who paves the way, makes ready a people for the Lord. That's who's in her. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly what? Favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Sometimes I think you and I would think the same thing. What do you mean I am highly favored? Right away that is going to raise some questions. And right away you're wondering, what is this shining angel dude doing in my house, right? You're just wondering both those things at the same time. But the angel said to her, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. That's the question she's asking. How in the world can this happen? And Gabriel wants her to know that though she wonders how it's going to happen, it's really who God is going to accomplish this. He'll tell her in a little bit how it's going to happen. But Mary is at first startled by the appearance of the angel. And I think sometimes when you read the Bible, you certainly won't always find God's word to be comforting or God's word to be encouraging. There are times when you're going to read the Bible and you're going to find God's word to be startling. You're going to find God's word to be troubling, sometimes even unnerving, unnerving to your comforts, unnerving to what you believe. You're going to look there and go, is that really the way God is? Is that really what God asks of us? Is that really a God who would show me favor as is revealed in his word? And you're going to find out that it's unnerving to your shame because God's favor is for you. It's significant that Mary wasn't sitting around just expecting the favor of God. There's a lot of demanding the favor of God in our world. I don't know if you see it online or in social media posts or uh, Christian kind of pithy statements, but I think there's a lot of demanding of God's favor. Like you're going to make it happen. You're going to claim it, and it will, it will happen for you if you just kind of claim this favor. And the truth is, I think we misunderstand the originer, originator of the favor, that the favor is the one who originates it is God. It's on his timeline. It's his plan. It's his big story. And he's inviting you and me into his story. You've got a part to play in God's plan. And God's favor rests on those whom God loves. Uh, what did Mary do to deserve God's favor? The angel said, you found favor. Found in our culture sounds like you earned it. You've done something and now you're approved. You've, you got pre-approved for the favor of God. That credit card will be mailed to you in the mail, right? It's, it almost sounds like that. But the actual thing is, what did she do to deserve it? It's possible that the answer to that question is very simple. Nothing. She didn't do anything to earn God's favor. God's favor was on her as an extension of her love. It was his initiation, it was his choice, and it's just an expression of his love. Let me tell you something. What did you do to earn God's favor? It's possible that the answer to that question is very simple. Nothing. And by the way, when you answer it that way, 
it'll disarm a lot of shame. Because shame's going to tell you why you don't deserve God's favor. But when you realize that the favor of God is his initiation to give grace and extension of his grace is a good work for you to do, a part to play in his story, that his love is on you, his favor is for you, and that he loves you deeply. And in that fact, you can find rest. What did the shepherds do to earn God's favor that angels would appear to them? Nothing. What did the wise men do that God would pull their attention to a star moving in the sky? Nothing. God's love is for you, but shame's argument is that God is not for you. Shame's argument is you got to be naughty or you got to be nice. And if you can't be completely perfect all the time, then you must be naughty. God thinks differently about you. Well, listen, when you begin to walk in God's favor, you need to realize that what happens in your life is this, that faith begins to grow. And faith is the willingness to look foolish. If you're going to walk in faith, you're going to look foolish sometimes. Elizabeth looked foolish buying maternity clothes in her old age. Moses looked foolish asking Pharaoh to let the slaves go. Israelite army looked foolish marching around Jericho blowing trumpets a bunch of times. David looked foolish going out to attack Goliath with a slingshot. Mary looked foolish being pregnant by God and actually carrying God. Here it is, this young teenage girl. The wise men looked foolish following a star. Peter looked foolish stepping out of a boat onto a lake to try to walk on water in the middle of the night. And Jesus looked foolish hanging naked on a cross for sins he didn't commit. If you're going to have faith, then you need to look foolish. And if you're not willing to look foolish, you're foolish. It's ridiculous because you're not walking in faith. You're not saying, listen, I'm willing because of the greatness and the favor of God to look different than what other people expect. There comes a moment when you need to stop hedging your bets. You got to come up against the lies of shame and you have to start living in the favor of God to play your part in his story. Because what happens is the enemy wants to convince you through shame that you have other things to do. The enemy wants to convince you through shame that you're not good enough to use your gifts, that you have nothing to bring to the table, that you have no way that you can really serve in the church, that God really might not even want you to, that you got to do some things before you're at a point in your life when you're ready to share the good news with a lost person. He's, the shame is always going to have an excuse. It's always going to have a, something that's going to try to keep you from being who you are. And that is loved by God called into his work, desired by God, that the deep desire of your heart are the things that God wants to heal and to make you whole. And so Mary gets called into the story. She gets called into God's story, having earned nothing, but receiving the favor of God. And it's not just Mary who got entered into the story, but remember Joseph. Joseph got entered in the story. Here he's pledged to be married to Mary, and she now becomes pregnant, and he has a choice. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with this child? Well, I want you to realize something. Jesus was adopted by Joseph because Jesus was the God-man, born of God, born of the virgin, and Joseph had a choice, and he adopted him and gave him full rights as his son. 
If you're an adopted person, you would know firsthand more than anybody else what that's like. And Jesus, who was, by the way, adopted by Joseph, came to accomplish adopting you with the full rights of being his child. I don't know if you've ever been with friends as they adopt a child or adopt a baby or go through the court process to adopt even a young adult but that's an exciting time. There are a lot of times when you don't want to go to court. If you go to an adoption proceeding, that's the day you want to go to court. Because in the courts, they basically put upon, listen, if you adopt this child, you are giving them full legal rights of a child as if that child was your very own and it's irrevocable. You can't get rid of this child after a few years if you don't want that child anymore. It's a beautiful day to go to court. And it's a beautiful proceeding, and I want you to understand that Jesus came to adopt you and give you full rights of being his child. What did you do to earn the adoption of Christ? Nothing. It's called grace. God's favor through grace is on you, but you have to believe it. You have to believe him. You are favored. You have the birthright in Christ, and your favor is connected to the favor of God that's in other Christians. Do you realize that? That God's favor is on you, but guess what? God's favor is on other Christians too. And one of the things that's unique about those who put their faith in Christ is that we are united by the favor of God that's been given to us. And what happens is when Christian people start getting mm, legalistic or too religious or they stop remembering that God's favor is on them, they become like Pharisees. They become religious people who forget what it's like to receive the grace and favor of God and that, that grace is extended to other people. And so what happens is you, people will start to raise their beliefs above their love for other people. And if something's wrong with your, if you mistreat people, then something's wrong with your beliefs. But we share in common the favor of God. We share that. And those who've come to Christ extend and have this uniting because of the favor of God, that we have full rights of being his child. Well, Mary asked, how is this going to happen? And the angel answered in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. This is probably the first time that she knew that her relative Elizabeth was pregnant. Well, how did Mary respond? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, is she given promises and guarantees at this moment in time? God's going to work it all out. It's going to look like this. Did, here's the whole map of your future. No, she didn't know any of that. She just said, may it be done to me as you have said, and may your word to me be fulfilled. There is faith in that moment. Did she, was she pregnant in that moment? Did it happen later that day? When did it happen? But God's word was happening to her. May your word to me be fulfilled. She didn't have it all together. She didn't know all the answers. It says, then the angel left her, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth is living in the favor of God. And she has been marveling at the favor of God for six months. And her husband has been silenced by the power of God because at first he did not believe. And she's not saying, Mary, because you believed, you're not like my husband who didn't believe. And so God shut him up until the baby arrives. That's not what she's saying. What she's saying is, wow, you believe that God's favor was for you when you didn't know what it was all like. And, and what she's realizing is I've been six months pregnant. And I have been marveling and considering the love and the grace and the favor of God for that amount of time. And here my relative, Mary, has come and she chose to believe. I love this picture that Mary's favor is connected to Elizabeth's favor. And John's favor, who eventually becomes John the Baptist, the baby of Elizabeth, is connected to the favor of Christ. They are cousins. And he's... There is rejoicing and celebrating and there is encouragement between these ladies and there's care when you walk within the favor of God with other believers. It's one of the greatest reasons that we need to be in a circle group is we need other believers. And some of you in this room, you're ready. You're ready to lead a circle group. And I want you to consider in the new year actually breaking away from your comfortable circle. And leading a circle group, why? Because the favor that's on the leaders that you're experiencing in your group is also on you. And God may be calling you to go ahead and walk with your chapter in his story by being in favor with other believers, where you're stretching and growing and hosting or leading a circle group. You need that in your life. We need community. Why? Because our favor is connected and she said, blessed are you when you believe that God fulfills his promises to you. And I want you to write that down. That blessed are you when you believe that God fulfills his promises to you. Because what shame does is shame wants to cause unbelief. Shame wants to cause you to question God, to question God's goodness. Shame wants you to do the opposite but Luke 145 reminds us, this is what Elizabeth said, blessed, it means happy. Happy is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. See, and shame questions your goodness, but it really questions God's goodness. And Mary began to walk and act and travel to Elizabeth's home and proceed in the favor of God when she hadn't seen it yet. She learned this news. She learned this news about a relative. And what did she do? She received the word from Gabriel, the angel. She packed her bags and she began to walk in faith. I'm going to go and see where God is also at work. And I believe God's going to work in me because I've been told that. But I'm going to go. I'm going to act. I'm going to move. I'm going to walk. I'm going to spend time with my relative. And she got up and she traveled. And she went to where God was already working and what God was already doing. Even though she hadn't seen it yet. Because faith is not by sight. But here's what happens when you begin to walk in belief, that you believe that God's going to fulfill his promises to you, you begin to see it more and more as you walk. She gets to Elizabeth's home. She begins to see the favor of God on her relative. 
she begins to marvel at that and believe that the favor of God is going to be working on her in the same way. How good is God to give you someone who's a little bit ahead of you being pregnant who's never been pregnant before? Because you've never been pregnant before, but God's giving you someone who's a little bit ahead on that journey. And I want to tell you that oftentimes when God begins to grow your faith, he's going to give you someone who's just a little bit down the road on the journey of faith to encourage you and to walk with you. It's part of God's favor in your life. You begin to see it more and more along the way. That's trusting God. So what did Jesus ultimately come to do for you and for me? Jesus came to break through your shame and your defenses and your excuses and your shame and your sin, and he wants to adopt you into his forever family. But it requires that you and I come to him through belief, that you must choose to believe the Lord Jesus has called you, that God desires you, and as crazy as it sounds, that God's favor and his love is for you. He's making the offer. I want to adopt you. You say, me? Yes, you. I want you to come to my forever family. You want me? Yes. But I'm naughty. But I'm not nice. But I have all these deficiencies. But I, and you come with all these excuses of shame. And God comes along and says, not only do I want you to choose to believe that I want to adopt you and give you full rights as my son or my daughter, whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased, but I have a great work for you to do. I have a part for you to play in my big picture story. And as you understand the story of you, you're going to understand your part in God's big story. But to do that, we got to counter the shame that we walk into the world with. Years ago, when I was in high school, um, I had a car accident and, uh, and I was I got like 58 stitches in my head. I got T-boned. Um, had they hit 18 inches forward, uh, it would have killed me. In the impact, it crushed the seat that was behind me all the way halfway across the car. And had they hit 18 inches forward, they would have turned and crushed my seat all the way across the car. It would have been the end of the story. Uh, and I just remember going through that experience and thinking like, um, wow, if I live through that, then God's really got something for me to do. But that's only half the story. You know why? Because you don't know that about three years before that, I got to a point in my life where I thought I was only accepted for what I could bring to the table. I thought I was only accepted for how I could perform, and I wasn't performing well in school. And I've come to realize that's because I'm a three, I'm an achiever. And I didn't realize it, but I got to the point in my life where I was considering taking my own life. And I had a plan. And God intervened. And he intervened not by invalidating my shame. He intervened by telling me my worth. And he did it through one of my parents at just the right time. And so I knew when I reject the lies of shame, when I know what it's like to receive the love of God, that he wants to adopt me, that he's got value for me, when I thought I was all naughty, and God's saying, I actually want to make you right and whole. That at that time I thought, God's got a work he wants to do in me. And I stopped living in the lies of shame and I started walking in the belief of someone who said, God's favor is upon me. Then when I got in the car accident, it just continued to validate, God's favor is upon me. Because it was close. And that's a long time ago. But there are times in our adult life 
that we again go back to that belief of like, well, I'm not sure that God's really for me. I'm not sure that I'm good enough. I'm not sure that, that this is who he's called me to be. And sometimes you and I need an evangelist to Christians to remind Christians who have made a decision for Christ again about what grace means. That God's for you, that he loves you, that his favor is upon you. And I believe one of the reasons for the Christmas story is that it reminds believers again every year the unmatched favor of God being extended to just regular people like you and me. And when you begin to believe the favor of God, you begin to think, okay, God, this doesn't end until your story is complete in me and I have purpose and I have worth and now I begin to get up out of my house, I begin to go to where I see you working and I begin to get on board with the story that you want to do in and through my life. You begin to see God's favor in your life and in others' people. So when you counter the lies of shame and believe the goodness of God, something happens in your heart. Something changes. Something awakens and it begins to warm up and it, and it rests in the love of God. Finally, it begins to rest in the love of God. You cease your striving. You cease all your performance on sin management. You know, you're trying to like rinse and wash and repeat. And you keep doing that cycle, trying to get the approval of God. And God's finally like, just rest. Rest in my love. Let me begin to heal the deep parts of your heart. And as I do that, you stop the rinse cycle in your life. You begin to get on board with what it means to be in the favor of God. And for the first time, when that awakens in your heart, perhaps in a long time, you experience the thrill of hope. The weary you rejoices. You can fall on your knees. You can hear the angel voices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, O night divine, when Christ was born. What happens? The thrill of hope awakens. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just for a moment to think about your own life. I want to just ask, are you willing to believe, to believe Jesus, to believe his claims, to believe that God worked to leave heaven and to become flesh, and he worked to look foolish in the eyes of the world, to hang naked on a cross, to receive upon himself all of our shame, all of our guilt, all the naughty that we could throw at him and more, and he paid for it on the cross, and now he extends his favor and new life to you. If today you realize you want to be washed clean by God, that you want to be spiritually awakened, and you want to be adopted into his forever family, then you pray a prayer like this after me, just right where you're seated, even on the inside, God hears you. Just say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you are God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow. Would you make me a new creation on the inside? Would you renew and restore my heart? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand anywhere in the room that today was the day you did the awesome, right here in the middle, over on the side, greatest decision you could ever make. You might be up in the loft and right here on the side, awesome, greatest decision you could ever make. It took a person standing on the stage sharing about the good news of Jesus for me to choose to believe that. 
So God, we come before you and love you. I also pray for my brothers and sisters who they have made that. They, they have prayed the time when they gave their life to you and yet God, maybe some time has gone by and maybe they have reverted again to religious work, trying to receive your favor, believing the lies of shame. And God, today, right now, I pray freedom for my brothers and sisters. And maybe that's you in this room, and maybe for a moment you just need to choose this. You need to say, Jesus, today I choose to believe that you are for me. I choose to believe your favor is on me. Would you heal the deep places of my heart? Help me to know how you want to heal my deepest longings. And God, may this next year be a year when I walk living my chapter in your story. And then we pray that in Jesus' name and together all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.